0: Hope you had a great Thanksgiving, and we're kind of just recovering from that, right? Hopefully you got to be with family and friends. I know we had a great Thanksgiving. It was all at our house and just had a great time doing that. And just, I got to tell you, though, and then there's football, by the way. Anybody, you know, and I know as Jeff was saying that, that didn't go the way everybody wanted to go at a lot of key games, but did your team, just do it this way, if your team won... Clap if if your team lost. Just boo. We'll do it that way. Don't throw anything. Okay. Yeah, we got that one third, two thirds kind of thing going on here. But uh, and great food. I actually went to the uh, to the gym yesterday. Sometimes my habit, a couple times a week. And uh, in the middle of my routine, I jumped up on the scales. And I, the way I do it, it's one of those sliding scales. I just put my weight up there, and then I step up and on. And I did that, and, and it wasn't matching. And I, for a few seconds, because I'm an incredible optimist, I actually, the first thing that flashed through my mind is, oh, I must have lost a couple of pounds. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, no, no, I'm actually heavier than I've ever been in my life. You know, so that's how that kind of goes. But, uh, but we, how, how many of you are involved in shoe boxes? Yeah, I, I got to really hand it to Grace. What I, one of the things I love about Grace, um, I had talked to Holly before they did the final tally, and her goal was 1,500 boxes just from our church, and the, the total came in 1,655 boxes just from Grace. Yeah. And of course, we're also kind of a regional center, so we loaded a, a semi-trailer here, and And so that was just great. But I I don't know if you realize or if you've been in any kind of a situation where something like that would mean so much to you. But these are all going to kids who receiving a box like this, that's 1,655 kids, that when they receive this box, they know that there's somebody out there, someone, somewhere loves them. And inside the box, there's actually some materials from Samaritan's Purse that points them to Christ. And so thank you so much for being involved in that. We're really excited about what God's doing. We're checking out. Have you checked out the construction lately? Uh, We've got a half a week in on that. And uh, we invite you to come and and check that out. It's amazing uh, how that space is developing. Also, just want to remind you, if you're parked, it's now paved through our construction area. And so if you're back here, rather than go through the park, which you can do, we want to come right here. But if you go through the park, be nice to the people in the park, okay? There are runners and bicyclists. These are our neighbors. They're our friends. They're our mission field. They're who we're trying to reach. Be nice to them, all right? Don't honk. Uh, you know, don't, don't run them off the road. Be nice, But uh, I think it'll be faster for you to just circle all the way around, all on pavement, get out to Smith Road, where you have a higher speed limit, which I know is important to some of you. So just remember that. We're continuing Shadow Mission. We're going to wrap that up next week, and then we will start our Christmas series. And Shadow Mission, of course, as we've been talking about it, is that we, we all have a tendency to live out just our Shadow Mission... And we really need to overcome that to discover and live out the true mission that God has given us for our life. And there's actually a passage of scripture that I believe speaks to this, and, uh, and, and I want to talk about that. But I think, I think that if... If you're like me, I don't, have you ever been doing some? There's some point in your life where you just had a sense that felt something like this, where you felt this can't be it. There has to be something more. This can't be all there is. There, there should be some, something greater out there. If you ever have that sense, I believe that happens to us when we're living out our shadow mission rather than our true purpose from God. Does that make sense? And I think that's a, that when we have that sense of there must be something more, that's when our souls are truly thirsting for what God actually has for us, what we were designed, made for, what we were designed to do. It's a thirst In our soul. Have you ever been real thirsty? I mean, really, really, really thirsty? I remember remember one of the times in my life that I was probably more thirsty than I can remember. I was almost out of my mind with thirst. It was at football practice in high school. It was a -a two-a-days. And so two-a-days, you practice two different times during the day. It was during the summer leading up to to the school year. And it was hot. You know, it was like August and you're practicing all the time, and you get into the week, and you just kind of get run down. I remember a particular day, it was super hot, and I, it was like every bit, every drop of moisture had been sucked out of my body, and I was out of my mind with thirst. Of course, I would never say anything to a coach or anything like that, which would be a bad thing back then. But at my school, Pueblo County High, I actually split into two schools, but Public County, we didn't practice in the stadium where the water fountains were. We practiced on a practice field outside the stadium. And for us, maybe some of you guys can relate kind of old school, water break meant that some intern brought out two five-gallon buckets of water and set them on the edge of the practice field with like a sleeve of cups. And they just sat out there in the sun until the coach blew the whistle. And I remember I I saw the buckets, and I was just dying of thirst. But we were running plays, and when the water whistle blew, I was always the first one there, or, you know, within the first five, I was there. But this time, we had run a play, and I was on the ground, kind of tangled up with some other players, and they blew the whistle. It's like the worst time. And so 50 guys, 50 sweaty, mud-covered, grass-stained men ran over to those five-gallon buckets. Then they all fought over the cups, which destroyed the cups, and there was only about you know, 20 cups for 50 guys, and then started grabbing a cup and then dipping their arms down into the water bucket to get a drink. Well, if you're tangled up on the field and you're not one of the first ones there, but rather you're one of the last ones there, so I sprint over there. Most people had already had a drink, and I find a... Half crushed cup that I try to bend out so it'll hold water, and I look at my two options. There's only about this much water in both buckets. Grass, dirt, clods are floating in this brown colored water. And I dipped that cup down and I chugged it. It's kind of gritty. And I was still thirsty. And so I dipped that cup down a second time and I chugged that. And then I dipped down a third time and I could hear the cup scraping the dirt on the bottom of the bucket. And I downed it again. That's when you're really thirsty. But quenching my thirst did not really satisfy. It was a huge disappointment. That's not the way I wanted to satisfy my thirst. I think that's something like what the guy we're going to look at in Scripture today experienced, because this is how it is when we live out our shadow mission rather than our our true mission. our, Our thirst is kind of being quenched. We're doing something, but it's just not satisfying. It's a disappointment, and we're looking for something better. We're looking for something more. What we're going to look in the book of Of Acts. Luke wrote Acts as as well as Luke, and we're gonna look at a story. It's in Acts chapter 8. And it's a story that some of you will remember. It's a story of a rich, powerful, sexually altered black man who's from a pagan country, and he happens to be the secretary of treasurer, secretary of treasury for this country. And in this man, God gives him something that he senses there must be something more. Maybe the same sense that we've had in our lives. And, and God uses that sense to draw him, this man, to God. Let's turn to Acts chapter 8. Um, if you're using one of the, the Bibles on the chair back, it's... Uh, Page number 1098, I think. Acts chapter 8, beginning of verse 26. Here's what it says. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure... And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And you have to remember, uh, in ancient times, when people read, they read out loud almost all the time. Even when they were reading to themselves. And then the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. And Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And said, do you understand what you're reading? And then he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shears is silent. So he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth and beginning. From this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. So he's reading the scroll of Isaiah. So this man, he's returning from Jerusalem where he went to worship. And um, he goes there. And then he's coming back. And he has this divinely set up appointment with Philip. And this is what happened. A lot of times we read a story like this and we're thinking well, this has really nothing to do with me. And it continues. This last verse that I'll read here, it says, And as they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Now, He's already explained Isaiah and preached Jesus and they're still on this journey to Gaza between Jerusalem and Gaza. They pass some water and he has become a follower of Christ and he's saying, well, what's keeping me from being baptized? And Sometimes we read a story like this and it says, well, what does this have to do with me? But, But I think that there are three timeless truths that we can take from this passage, this story, and apply to our lives today. The first one is this. God draws all kinds of people to himself. God draws people of every nationality, every rate, all kinds of people to himself. Secondly, God uses people in that process of drawing people to himself. And thirdly, when we come to God because God has drawn us to Him, usually God's used a person to do that. When we become followers of Christ, we joyfully embrace a brand new mission for our lives. Those are the three things. Let me show you what I'm talking about. First of all, God draws all kinds of people to Himself. So here, here you have this man, he's rich, he's powerful. he's, He's a eunuch, he's been sexually altered, and he is secretary of treasury for a country. And he, because of his wealth and position, he has the means to go on this long, long journey from Ethiopia, or at that time it would have been Sudan, probably part of the Nubian kingdom, an ancient kingdom. But he's all the way from there to Jerusalem, huge journey, most people could not have done that. But he does that. It's like we read in the text that somewhere at some point in his life, he has realized that something is missing and he's trying to seek that out. And we don't know how he heard from about the one true God because he's from Ethiopia, whether he heard that from a Jewish trader or maybe a Jewish slave, we don't know. But he goes to Jerusalem to worship. So he's heard about the one true God. And he takes this journey to go find out about God. Now, we learn some. There's some things from the text that we can know from just what we've already read. The fact that he was a eunuch means that he was not born into wealth and position. What would, would happened in, in the ancient kingdom of Ethiopia was... It was a pagan nation and they considered their king divine. And because they considered their king a god, he didn't do any administrative work in the kingdom. It was all beneath him. And in that kingdom of Ethiopia, their tradition was the queen mother. This is Candace, although Candace is actually could be a title for this position. All queen mothers. The queen mother Candace, she administered the kingdom. But in order to do that, she needed a lot of help. And the people that the queen mothers would typically choose in order to help them were people from their country who they were going to give uh, very influential positions to. Whoever they chose for these positions, like secretary of treasury, would be wealthy, would be influential, would be powerful. And so they only wanted to choose somebody who had castrated themselves. Because then they would never have a family. And so they would become rich and powerful, but it would give them less reason to do two things. One, usurp the kingdom, try to take over as king because they were already rich, they're already powerful, they already kind of have everything they want, and they have no children, no family line. Their family name dies with them. So kind of less motivation to try to usurp the throne. And then the second thing was there would be no intermarrying because the the king family, the royal family, wanted to keep their family pure. And so they didn't want any of the high-ranking officials that became high-ranking officials to sort of compete genetically with them and, and enter into their bloodline. So if you wanted to go to the top, then you had to be willing to sacrifice. And this man did that. He started out in humble means, but he is willing to uh, become a eunuch in order to, to reach the to attain the position. So it was all about kind of work for this guy. And his family name would die with him because of that. But all this wealth and position did not satisfy his thirst. He's seeking. He's wanting to know more about God, so he travels to Jerusalem. And again, we don't know exactly how he how heard that. But I'm guessing that even though he had the means to go to Jerusalem, now he's been in Jerusalem and he's coming back home. And I'm thinking he's probably hopeful, but he's probably also disappointed. Disappointed because as a eunuch, he would have been denied access Full access to the worship of God in the temple at Jerusalem. He would, at best, he could make it to the, the court of the Gentiles, which basically had become, wrongly, a marketplace at that time. He would not have been allowed into the kingdom like Jewish men could go into. Even though he is powerful and had position and wealth, he still would not have been able to do that. So that was probably disappointing to him, given his position. But the other thing is, he's hearing about the one true God. So maybe he's hopeful. And maybe as he hears about God, it rings true for him. And sometime when he was in Jerusalem, he he purchases a scroll of Isaiah. That only wealthy people could purchase a scroll like that. But he has a scroll of Isaiah... And now he's heading back, Jerusalem to Gaza. They're going to go around and then into Africa. And so that's where he's heading. And he's reading Isaiah. And Isaiah the prophet, it's a super interesting book. It's a lot of prophecy. And a lot of it is talking about the Messiah who's going to come and reign as king. The Messiah from the line of Abraham. That's the reason the whole Jewish nation existed, was to produce this Messiah from the line of Abraham Isaac and Jacob from the line of David, the kingly line, that the Messiah was come. But now he's reading this passage in Isaiah 53, and in this passage, it's talking about a suffering servant. It's actually still talking about the Messiah, but, but people are having a hard time figuring this out, because the Messiah is the king. Well, who's the suffering servant? And so he has this question, who is this? Is this Isaiah talking about himself, because Isaiah had some tough times as a prophet, or is Isaiah talking about somebody else? And if it is somebody else, who is it? So that's kind of how this is going. And when God, as God draws all kinds of people to himself, that second truth is that he uses people to do that. He uses people in the process. He doesn't have to, but that's what he does. Here, God specifically tells, through an angel at first, tells Philip, hey, go down to this desert road. Philip doesn't know exactly why, but he goes. And then he sees this Ethiopian official. He's probably got an entourage. He's in a chariot, and he's going along, and he's reading Isaiah. Back in the old days, they always read out loud, and he overhears this, and he asks the question. He strikes up a conversation. Actually, the Spirit tells him, go engaging. So he engages. He asks the question, the guy, and here's where we find out something else about this Ethiopian, that, that he's either humble enough or desperate enough, one or the other, that he, he admits, no, I don't get this. And a lot of Jewish people didn't get this either. How can't, do you understand, Philip says, and he's like, no. I mean, he could have said, hey, I'll figure it out. Peon, you know, but he says, no. How can I, unless somebody explains it, somebody guides me. And so he invites Philip up. And Philip then starts explaining to him who the suffering servant is, that really it is the Messiah, the King, who actually comes to sacrifice himself for all mankind. And so he's hearing that. And let's pick it up again. What he was reading there was Acts 8, beginning of 32. So the passage of scripture, which he was reading, was this. You remember from a few minutes ago. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. He's saying, the writer here is talking about this future Messiah, and he's saying, hey, he's going to be Uh, crushed. All these bad things are going to happen to him, and he's not going to say anything. He's going to be silent before his accusers. He's talking about all this, and then he's going to be cut off. He's going to be killed. Now, he's reading this in Isaiah, and this is quoted in Acts, but I want to read the context of Isaiah, what else he read, just the three verses before these two verses, and it goes this way in Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. It says, surely our griefs he himself bore. This is the same suffering servant. Surely our griefs he himself bore. And our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening For our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. This is the whole passage. And then it's the two verses that we just read that was quoted as Philip heard him reading. So, this is the passage, and it's all about the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. He invites Philip up, Philip sits next to him in the chariot, and then Philip preaches Jesus to him. Philip tells him, Well, I'll tell you who this is. This is Isaiah talking about the coming Messiah who is rightfully king, but actually comes as a servant who voluntarily gives up his life for us, all of mankind. That's the gospel. And we know that Jesus is the key to unlocking all the mysteries in the Old Testament. It all fits in one person. All these passages only fit one person in all of history that's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he's explaining that to him. And in this process, along this road, this government official, this Ethiopian government official, gives his heart to Christ and places his trust in what the suffering servant has done for us and what he offers us. He becomes a believer. And as they travel on, they, they go by water. Isaiah's not talking about water baptism, but Philip has explained this all to him. And he says, well, what keeps me from being baptized? And he ends up getting baptized. His desire for bapti- baptism signifies a real work of God in his heart. And so God uses... God draws all people to himself. God uses people to do that in that process. And then third, once we come to Christ, we can joyously embrace our true mission that comes only from him. I mentioned about the water break and how I was drinking it, it wasn't satisfying. It's just kind of necessary. It's funny, because about four months after that, five months later, I'm up in the Rocky Mountains, sipping from a cold, clear spring stream, and that satisfied, and you couldn't get enough, and it was just, it just oozed into every pore of your body. That's how. How. This man must have felt when he heard Philip describe what Christ had done for him. Acts 8:38, it continues with the baptism here it says, and he ordered the chariot to stop. and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. And the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. See, that's when finally the eunuch's thirst for God was quenched. His thirst for something more, his sense that that this couldn't be all there was, was completely satisfied in a relationship with Christ. His soul thirst quenched. Here's my question. There, there, then there's a cool insight to the story I want to share with you. That, that as I was studying with this, it's just like, I'm like, wow, that is cool. What do you think? Okay, so now he's on his way to Gaza. He becomes a believer. He, he places his trust in Jesus. He gets baptized as an outward act that doesn't save us. It's just a way of following Christ. It, it kind of reflects that he meant business when he, when he trusted Christ. And now he's got this thousand-mile journey ahead of him by chariot. He's got a little entourage, probably for protection. What do you think he does? You know, no doubt he might be talking to these other people about what God, you know, whatever they heard or overheard or didn't. But I think for sure one thing he did is he probably continued reading in Isaiah. Do you think? He's come to Christ. He has a scroll. That's all he's got. That's the only Bible he has. He's read up through Isaiah 53. I'm guessing he picks it up there and he continues reading. Are you with me on that? I mean, a thousand miles. This is months of a journey. Here's what I want you to see that I thought was so cool. Here's this man. He becomes a believer and he's heading to a country. Nobody with him is a believer. He's going to a country where there are zero Christians. He has no family. He's probably got all these questions. He's just read Isaiah 53. That's been explained to him. He's come to Christ. He's become a believer. Here's what it says in Isaiah 56, three chapters later. He had several months to get there. Isaiah 56, beginning in verse 3. Do you think he would have noticed this? Let not the foreigner... oh. He's a foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, let not the foreigners join himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Nor let the eunuch, oh, that's kind of personal. That's him. Nor let the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree, meaning I have no offspring. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, And choose what pleases me. And hold fast my covenant. To them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial. And a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name. Which will not be cut off. You believe That that impacted him? What do you think those words meant to this man as he returns to Ethiopia? Just three chapters after what Philip used as a launching plant pad to, to teach him the gospel. He's heading, he has nobody as far as Christianity is concerned. It's interesting because if you look at church history, you know, we don't know a lot about after the Bible time, but... Uh, Irenaeus, he writes in 180 A.D., so, you know, a little, about 100 years or so after this. And Irenaeus was a disciple of Polycarp, who was a disciple of John, the last living disciple. So, Irenaeus writes about this man, and here's what he says. And this is in against the heresies that Irenaeus wrote. He says, this man was also sent to the regions of Ethiopia to preach what he had himself believed, that there was one God preached by the prophets, but that the son of this God had already made appearance in human flesh and had been led as a sheep to the slaughter. Here's A guy a 100 years later, a little more than that, saying, oh, yeah, I've heard about that guy. That guy went to Ethiopia, and he started preaching. And then there's this tradition that a bunch of people in his country became believers from this one man. You see, he overcame his shadow mission, which was all about wealth and power. All about doing anything to get ahead, which, which is what he did. He gave up a lot. And he discovered his true mission. And he became passionate about it. An entire region of the world was impacted by him. And I'm here to tell you, it's the same way with us. God uses his people to impact others when he's drawing people to himself. And that's what we're all about here at Grace. as as many of you know. And and the thing about it is, this time of year, we've had Thanksgiving leading up to Christmas, it's one of the best times to point people to our Savior. You know, Christmas, there's a lot of secular stuff, you know, there's a lot of stuff about Christmas that doesn't really jive with Christianity, We, we get that. But essentially, it is a Christian holiday and it's one of the best times that, that we can point people to Jesus because they're curious. They want to know. They have questions. They know there's something deeper. They get that this, all this stuff they see, all the, 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 the economy of it and the shopping, all the secular parts of it, that that's just shadow Christmas, right? That there's a real deeper meaning to Christmas and they're open to that. Last year in our Christmas services, we had like 3,400 people, I think, in our Christmas services. That's how open people are. And we have an opportunity here to impact others. We, we, we mentioned the You've Been Gifted cards, right? Remember that? Anybody give those out last year? Yeah. So they're out and they're available and you, you guys kind of, most of you know what that is. That's just a little card where you can anonymously, not it doesn't have to be anonymous, but anonymously or randomly, better word, Be generous to somebody, and you hand them this card. And the card just says something to the effect that, hey, Christmas is busy, we all get that, but this is just a little reminder that there is a God who loves you. You know, in spite of all the Christmas rush, something more important here. God knows you, God loves you kind of a thing. We just do that to impact people. It brings people back to the reality of what Christmas is all about. And so what we're hoping through grace is that in our church family, whether it's here uh, or in Paulding, that there are 5,000 random acts of generosity that happen through us. And we believe this can change a community. And whether you're paying for somebody's meal, or whether you're helping somebody that you could tell didn't have enough money to check out or just whatever it is or anonymously leaving a neighbor something or not anonymously. It doesn't matter. We want to impact our community for Christ. And also invite them, you know, or talk to them about Christ or invite them here where they'll hear more about what Christmas really is all about. Our kind of strategy this year is we're going to wrap up shadow mission next Sunday and then the 6th and then December 13th we're starting just our kind of a traditional Christmas series and so that's a great time to invite somebody the 13th then the next Sunday's the 20th the 20th and Christmas Eve the 24th like we always do are actually pretty much the same service there's just five of them three on Sunday like we always do and then Christmas Eve if you come on Sunday what we want you to do is bring somebody back on Christmas Eve or come and serve because we always could use help as we try to impact our people impact people in our community again last year well over 3,000 people came to grace just to come to church and then because Christmas is on a Friday so we're doing Christmas Eve Thursday night that would make sense and then Friday Christmas and then Sunday we're having another service on the 27th just a regular Sunday but the 20th Christmas Eve and the 27th, all three of those times, the gospel will be shared and we want you to invite people who don't know Christ and see what God does. We're here to make a difference. I I don't mean to imply that's only to invite people to church. You have the message. You can talk to people. You can do this on your own. But we are here to impact the world around us. Don't forget that. And if you're here, and, uh, and you're not sure that you're a Christian, or you know that you're not a believer, or you're not even sure what that means, we're just here to tell you God loves you. It's the same message that Philip told the Ethiopian eunuch. God knows you. God loves you. You've rebelled against him like we all have. And that rebellion really deserves, justly deserves punishment. But God provided a way in his love for you and allowing his one and only son to come and suffer and die in your place to pay your sin penalty so that you could be forgiven. And the way that happens is when you place your faith, your trust in Christ and Christ alone. If you want to know more about that, I invite you to stop by room one. We're going to close in just a moment. Just swing in and say, hey, I want to talk to somebody about that or I have some questions or hey, I don't have time. But uh, if you just want a, a little pamphlet you can read privately on your own time, we have that available too. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. We're glad you're here with us on this Thanksgiving holiday weekend. Let's stand for prayer. Father God, we thank you for who you are and we thank you for reaching out to us like you did this man, this Ethiopian eunuch. Lord, because we've all started out far from you. Lord, we need to be able to open our eyes around us and realize that the people who are the least likely or the people who are the least like us may be exactly who you want us to impact because you draw all people to yourself. God, help us to get beyond our shadow mission and focus on the mission that you have for us to impact the world. God, we thank you for uh, the people of grace, their generosity. Uh, we pray that uh, for these shoeboxes that they will impact children's hearts for you. God, we pray for our you've been gifted initiative, Lord, that you would just use that simple thing to impact people's hearts, to draw them to yourself. Lord, help us to be effective in that. And God, we just thank you. And even though we deserve punishment, all of us, if we've placed our faith in you, you've, you've granted us forgiveness. God, thank you for that greatest gift. Help everyone we know to find it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Hey, thanks for being here. See you next Sunday. They're dismissed.